electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the road ahead for your money following the Fed. Will the post-decision rally prove to be short-lived? Some action in the market today is very interesting towards that question. And we're going to ask two great voices on that issue. Fundstrat's Tom Lee, Altimeter Capital's Brad Gerstner. They'll be along momentarily. Let's in- first welcome in the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Kerry Firestone, Jim Labenthal, Josh Brown, John Ajarian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's go to the wall. Stocks are mixed. It's been a mid-morning reversal. Dow is still positive. You see the S&P, though is down 11. The Nasdaq getting hit again, down 244. The 10-year note yield at 142. We're watching for that closing high on the S&P, and we were above that level until we gave it up. It's 47.12. So that's the number you need to keep an eye on as we have this conversation for the next hour or so. Jim Labenthal, I turn to you first. You suggest that the activity in the market yesterday post-Fed was, in your words, nonsensical. And you have been Mr. All-In so that sounds very interesting to me. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate your starting with me. Yeah, um, look, okay, I'll take the explanation that everybody's putting out there that people were hedged for worse. Uh, and if that's the explanation for why it went up yesterday, fine. But I don't think that is the right takeaway. If I go back three months ago, four months ago, uh, the consensus was not that there would be three rate hikes in 2022. Now it's not just consensus, it's what the Fed has said they would do. And maybe they won't. I know there's a body of people out there who think that, you know, the Fed will never raise interest rates. I've heard the argument. The degree of certainty has to be low. But you know what? I've got to go with what the Fed says it's going to do. They've clearly run out of patience uh, with inflation. The excuses are all gone, whether it's supply chain bottlenecks or baseline or unemployment benefits. All right. If the Fed is getting more aggressive yeah. or at least less accommodative, I have to tell you, based on my decades of experience, that's a bad thing for the market. Well, I mean, now, I think it, the it, it, depends, it, it depends how aggressive they get. Um, certain stocks maybe hit more than others. Right. If you well, come on today and you said, you know, because this policy, it's a little more aggressive than I expected or we expect. If I have any high multiple stocks in my book, I'm going to take some profits and I'm going to move that money around. However, you're selling Northrop Grumman as your big statement about lessening your all-in status? Yes, yes, Scott, you sound incredulous. So let me explain it to you. Um, I need to raise cash for the volatility that I see coming up. And when I say volatility, I'm not measuring it by the VIX. I'm measuring it by potential drawdowns. I need to have cash to take advantage of that. I'm not going to go sell that trading position in Apple or any of my high-flying stocks and stick with my investors and clients with tax bills this late in the year. 
Northrop Grumman has not performed as well as it should have over the last two years. I'm going to raise cash there. There's no big tax bill to it. Maybe I'll buy it back when the volatility hits. Maybe the volatility won't hit. Maybe I'm completely wrong and the Fed won't raise rates and inflation is done. You know what? I'd love to be wrong with that because I'm still going to be 96% invested. But what I've got to do right now is use my best analysis, use the evidence in front of me, which is that volatility is going to increase and give me the opportunity to buy shares, maybe even Northrop Grumman, at lower prices. I can't do that if I don't have cash. Okay. This is a start of the process to raise a little bit of cash. Okay. Josh Brown, this notion, if we want to call it that, that the rally we saw yesterday and to begin today is nonsensical, as Jim suggests, because the Fed is going to get much more aggressive. And when you have a much more aggressive Fed... You don't have a great stock market at, as a result. You want to take issue with that? You want to take the other side? Well, we don't know that the Fed's going to get more aggressive. They're basically giving themselves the option that if they have to, they can. It's just talk until they actually do something. So I don't know that three rate hikes will be consensus if, for example, the stock market falls 5%. Then all of a sudden, we're going to get back to this discussion of, well, maybe the Fed is going to be more patient. So it's all nonsense. Forget about the reaction. The reaction yesterday was probably a lot of hedges coming off. People thought there would be something much worse or much more shocking. Um, but one day's reaction really shouldn't concern a majority of investors who are not playing on a timetable of, of that length. I think the bigger picture here is the Fed should be raising rates. The state of the economy gives them the ability to do it. And the state of inflation gives them an imperative that it's time to start having that conversation. But remember, uh, even with the taper this month, on a net basis, the Fed is still inexplicably still buying financial assets every month. That's the part that has to stop immediately. And if we have to endure some volatility in the market in order for that to happen, so be it. It's unjustifiable for the Fed to be continually buying Treasury bonds. It serves no purpose. It's unjustifiable for the Fed to be uh, adding liquidity to the mortgage market with where house, housing prices are. It's unjustifiable. So I like that the taper has come. I feel that there is relief on, on the part of business owners and people that are bearing a lot of these costs in the, in the Main Street economy. And sometimes the stock market has to suffer in order for monetary policy to uh, do what it's supposed to do. And what it's supposed to do is not continue to throw emergency stimulus at an otherwise healthy uh, economy. So I think the supply chain shocks, we talked about this two days ago. I think we're seeing the worst of that now. I don't think we'll still be in that same place a month or two from now. Mm -hmm. So some aspects of the current inflation will uh, uh, peter out. And then we'll see what we're left with. But if you look at five-year expectations for inflation, so forget about what everybody feels about the current moment. Five-year expectations are now back under three. I think 2.8%. Um, that's reasonable. That's what the Fed told us they wanted. They've spent the last 10 years telling us they were going to give us well, 2 to 3% inflation. That's cool. Well, here's that's what, I need what to the know. market now expects in the out years. Here, here's what I need to know. Here's what I need to know, Kerry Firestone. How much air still has to come out of the NASDAQ because clearly it hasn't fully come out yet. And whatever rally you had yesterday has dissipated today. And now we're at the lows of the day. And there are some who are suggesting, and you're going to hear from Brad Gerstner of Altimeter later, uh, who've been calling for a, a, big, a bigger decline in, in the NASDAQ. 
um, how much more air has to come out of tech before you feel comfortable getting in? So I'd like to differentiate NASDAQ and, and tech in a way that I think is very important. So what has driven the market this year, and we've had a great market, remember, it's up with total return 26%. And what has driven the market is la very large cap technology stocks, or those that are like technology. So it's Google, Microsoft, Apple, Tesla, NVIDIA. That's over a third of the return of the S&P, those names. That, those are NASDAQ names, and they have done it because both earnings explosion, but a lot of expansion in valuation. Not, not Google, but you know, Apple has gone up a lot in, in valuation, and NVIDIA, Tesla you know, doesn't really have a multiple. I think you're talking about the ARC-type names, the companies that sell for, and Tesla's one of them, well, more than you know, 10, 12, 14 times sales, and those are still, many, still overpriced, but they've come down anywhere from 20%, lots of them, from 20% to 50%. And yes, there was an anticipation of interest rates going higher, so much of that is in the price. Maybe they have some more air left, but you know, I think we really should think about how this higher interest rate environment, I mean, it's only somewhat higher, will benefit other names, mid caps, small caps that have dramatically underperformed the market because all of the lift has come from our most, the very biggest of the digital players. So you like the PayPal's, you like the Autodesk's, you like the Twilio's. Yeah. Visa. Yeah. Visa. Terrible underperformers. Yeah. Been tough. Yeah. The market has loved names, the names I gave you, and the chips, and has really discarded some of the other growth, growth stocks that now trade, we feel, at attractive levels. And many people on the investment committee, you know, through the week, you, you hear these names because underperformance in one year is often outperformance the following year. So just because they're out of favor and Reddit boards don't like them doesn't mean they don't have very long runways for their addressable market and growth within it. All right. So, Dr. J, you, you've heard everybody's commentary. The Fed's spoken. Um, you know, you, you've been cautious, I think, uh, fair to say, right? You had been lightening up some positions, taking some profits in some things. Uh, where do you stand now? Well, I'm looking at what they're coming after today, Scott. Um, not as much about what they're dumping, uh, although what some of what they're dumping, quite frankly, is painful because third largest position is Apple. We touched right up there against that three trillion again today and then wham, um, five and a half dollars lower, six dollars lower um, like that. That's obviously big institutional sized investors getting out. That's not public. Uh, according to the blocks that I was looking at anyway, there were some people that were just saying, okay, that's enough. Um, I'll get to the sidelines for a bit. So that's on the tech side that Kerry was just talking about. Then you've got what is working. Um, you know, you look at some of the materials, some of the mining, like Freeport, um, like uh, Southern Copper. There are so many of these stocks that are moving to the upside. I'd mm -hmm. even say some of the uh, hotelier stocks or, you know, like an Airbnb, Scott, uh, last I looked, I think it was up better than 30 bucks or something like that. Um, and that's because people are traveling, but the people that are traveling aren't spending at the luxury level, or at least as we've discussed many times, 
the, uh, the folks that are flying aren't the business travelers. It's not men and women in suits or going out to do business. It's people going for experiences. But that's great, but it's not nearly as profitable for the airlines. And that's why we've seen that slide. No, but you've seen, I'm literally looking at a stock right now, um, Endeavor Group, for example, um, that's up eight and a third percent mm-hmm. on the day. So I, I understand we've got these fears of Omicron and the impact that it's going to have on, on spending and travel. And, you know, as you said, Doc, these experiential names, you know, whether it's going to um, a UFC fight or a concert or whatever part of their property umbrella you're picking. Yep. You know, Josh, I know, you know, likes the Live Nation, for example, and there, there are other stocks in, in that vein. But it's an interesting message when I look at that stock, for example, today, which is literally up more than 8% as we have this conversation. It's near a 52-week high where people are placing their bets so far, and we hope it remains the case. And what we think we're, we're hearing at this point, right, of what we've heard is that maybe Omicron is not as severe as was first feared when we first had the reports. You're right. And Scott, um, you know, you you cited Endeavor and that's UFC, of course. And, you know, if you could, uh, there aren't really publicly traded um, football uh, teams. You know, the Green Bay Packers were the last one and that's now over at the VFW. Um, But (laughs) uh, if you could buy those, you would, because those are huge crowds going to football games, going to UFC matches, to Josh's point, um, which he's made so well, to Live Nation. People are gearing up or already going in certain parts of the country to very packed arenas and so forth. So I agree. I'm just saying on the luxury end, the higher end, um, the ones that business travelers usually fill the seats of, there's not nearly that demand right now. And that's going to take a while. Let's do this. Let's bring in our first headliner of the day for his first comments on television since the Fed made its decision yesterday. Tom Lee, he's the head of research at Fundstrat, joins us once again. It's good to see you. Welcome back. Thanks, Scott. Can't think of, of you know, many people I'd rather have more than you uh, right now, given your calls over the past many months for an all-in rally, a huge end-of-year move, uh, the, the everything rally. You know, you suggested one of the last times you were on, even though your price target for the S&P at the end of the year is 4,800, that we could eclipse that and get to 5,000 or so by the beginning part of the year. You just heard one of my committee members call the move yesterday post-Fed nonsensical. Um, Do you want to take issue with that? Uh, Well, you know, one day moves in markets are hard to explain. Um, So so I, I don't blame Jim for describing it that way. But to me, the reason I I thought the market rallied yesterday is that the rationale the Fed gave for why they sort of changed their view on on tapering, plus the roadmap for for potential rate hikes, uh, is an economy that's normalizing uh, with both, you know, demand shocks fading and the supply shocks fading. But at the same time, that framework concluded the risk that variants like the Delta variant slowed the economy. And if Omicron has an impact, that they could walk back uh, this framework. And, and that's very, you know, that's a template that the market understands and agrees with and doesn't think there's policy error. So to me, uh, I think it's actually a risk on roadmap that he provided because it's sort of saying, look, unless Delta and Omicron and 
Omicron and other variants, you know, don't sort of change the trajectory, the Fed could be tightening. But that's sort of what the market wants, is that a Fed that sort of still has the market's back. Now, you're not trying to describe a Goldilocks environment, are you, where even though we're having Fed tightening, it's what the market wants, it's what the economy can withstand, and yet it's going to be flexible enough in that environment. And by the way, we still have a lot of liquidity, even though they're doubling the pace of the taper. Let's not think that because they're doing that, all of a sudden the rain stops falling from the sky, right? They're, they're still Correct. doing that. That's exactly right. He, he said it several times that tapering is not tightening. It's just not adding accommodation, which is different than removing accommodation, which is what rate hikes are. And I do think the market wants the Fed to be a bit of an inflation watcher, and that's very clearly stated. So if inflation is not going to track worse than expected, then the Fed doesn't have to act faster. And then if we have sort of you know, as you know, this looming uncertainty because of these variants and, and the transmissibility, that's going to, you know, that's going to create the uncertainty that keeps the Fed a little more dovish. And I think post-confirmation, which is in February, you know, we could also have a change in the character of the Fed. But at the moment, it's important for, for Powell to be reconfirmed. So you're sticking with your call. I mean, that's the bottom line. 4,800 end of this year, if not even stronger, and 5,000 into the beginning of next year. Yes. Uh, I, I mean, I know uh, the time window is really strong because we're essentially only two weeks left of the year, but we know it's a strong seasonal. Uh, we're watching South Africa closely, but as you know, last week, positivity started to roll over and mm -hmm. we're going to check the, the regional cases. But as you know, hospitalizations barely picked up. And then if you look at some of the sewage data in some cities, uh, there's some evidence that potentially we're you know, Omicron's run, burn through a lot of areas. So Omicron's very contagious, but then it burns through and people forget there's another side of Omicron, which is when it peaks. Yeah. What do I want to do? I mentioned Endeavor, for example, earlier. And, you know, Kathy Wood is, is buying that now. And, and maybe that's the reason that the stock has a big jump today. But it brings to mind those types of stocks, right? The Kathy Wood type names, the ARC stocks, which have gotten obliterated. So what do I do with those now? When people ask you, is it safe to buy innovation fund names, some of the higher multiple, higher valuation, higher price to sales stocks? You, everybody knows the kinds of which we're talking about. Is it safe to buy those today, Tom, or not? Um, you know, there, I think from a, on your, if your time frame is three, five years, I agree with Kathy Wood's view that there's exponential growth coming. And that's because the number of people aged 30 to 50 is actually accelerating in America. Uh, we have some research that, number one, shows that if you overlay the number of people aged 30 to 50, you know, the five-year change, it's highly correlated with patent growth. So I, I think we're going to enter a period where there's a lot of innovation coming. It's a lot of these companies she's described. But in a world where people are focused on, you know, antivirals and Fed tightening, these aren't really names people put in their shelf and wheelhouse that they want to own. I mean, to me right now, you'd want to be owning inflation sensitive stocks. But that being said, I, I, I think exponential growers still make sense in your portfolio. Well, tell a timing me, issue. I'm sorry for I'm sorry for interrupting. You. I, th I thought you were finished uh, with, with your sentence. I, I, yeah. I apologize. Um, inflation sensitive stocks. So what, what is that? Give me give me the areas where I'm going to make the most money in your mind in this new road ahead that we have with the Fed policy change? Yes. Uh, I mean, I don't want to own things that have fake 
price increases because of uh, supply shortages. You know, so I, I don't think core goods prices are really a way to make money as an equity investor. But where there's structural shortage, for instance, in oil, uh, you know, you got a growing economy, and as people as the global economy emerges from these COVID and it becomes you know endemic. Demand's going to recover, and as John was saying, business travel will recover, which hasn't yet. That's a price support for oil, especially with little production. And then the energy stocks are trading at a huge gap to that. And you know, you can see the resilience because as soon as the Fed Band-Aid was ripped off, we've had a big move in these names. So I like energy stocks. Uh, I think next year, the first half is you know a period where the market's still trying to digest this, but you know, financials are actually a pretty good inflation hedge as well, and then some industrials. So it's it's really again it's kind of epicenter but that that being said i still like fang as well, well i mean i think really. fang you know these got cheap i mean it's not really epicenter and i was going to ask you next about that so i'm glad you brought it up um are you comfortable i mean look when, when i think of epicenter and and others do as i think as well rather than mm-hmm. trying to speak for a broad array of people uh travel stocks you know things that are more sensitive to what's going on in, in the world right now with the virus and, and otherwise, or, or those types of names. Are you comfortable recommending those types of stocks right now, travel uh, and leisure, anything in that vein? Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, to me, the travel stocks is like the home builders post-GFC, because uh, people said you'd never want to own a home builder again uh, because it's a bad business and, you know, no one's going to buy houses. And, you know, you look at the last... 12 years, they've been absolute monsters. I think travel and leisure companies are facing a crisis. They've cut costs. Uh, there is a demand problem because, uh, and a worker shortage, but the demand problem is, you know, like you said, people are still really nervous about the virus, but that's not true five years from now. Because, uh, and if that's not true, the operating leverage and the cost cutting is true. So that means you've got an earnings surprise story with a multiple re rate and cost of capital low and and, and that's uh, that's a roadmap for making equity returns that are, you know, beating the market. So, I, yes, I still like them. But you're right. It's it's tough to own them between now and your end. Does it get more complicated for investors next year? Let's assume that you're correct. And frankly, you deserve the benefit of the doubt, because in large part, you have been. If we hit five thousand, for example, in the early part of 22, then what does it get more difficult because we then have to think of actual rate hikes in our face, along with, you know, who knows what geopolitical issues, not to mention midterm elections and things like that? Yes, uh, Scott, that, that's all a formula for treachery, right? Uh, so if, the, if this year there was turbulence because of the sort of vaccine rollout and the variant emerging, you know, next year the variants are going to emerge, but we probably have a lot more therapeutics, which offsets that. But you're right, the midterms is a new dynamic. Uh, the Fed is that much closer to liftoff. And, you know, liftoff, it, I, I agree with Josh, it doesn't have to happen. Uh, but right now, that's the, that's the base case for the Fed. Liftoff is not, is going to meet, is tough. And midterm election years, as you know, it's always, all the gains are in the second half. You, you rarely make money in the first half of the midterm election year. So, yes, I think it's probably a tale of two markets next year. All right. We'll see. I look forward to having many conversations in the weeks ahead with you. Tom Lee, thanks so much. Thanks, Scott. All right, that's Tom Lee. Up next, Altimeter's Brad Gerstner. He joins us. He made a big call at CNBC's Delivering Alpha event in September, looking for a pullback of magnitude in high-flying growth names. He got that right, obviously. 
Well, we'll get his take now on where he sees things, how he's positioned today. We'll do that next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. A lawsuit has been filed by workers at that Kentucky candle factory where eight people died in a tornado. The suit claims that managers showed, quote, flagrant indifference by refusing to let workers go home after tornado warnings were issued. And Haiti, police say that the remaining 12 missionaries who were kidnapped two months ago have been freed. No details on how they were freed or if a ransom was paid. Five others had been previously released. COVID infections hitting a one-day record in Britain. Officials reporting more than 88,000 new cases since yesterday. England's chief medical officer says that daily COVID hospitalizations could hit a record this winter as Omicron continues to spread. The country's finance minister has cut short his visit to the U.S. That's amid calls for new aid for businesses hit by rising COVID cases. And on the news tonight, the spread of Omicron in the U.S. and a look at COVID hotspots across the country. That's tonight at 7 Eastern. Scott. All right. Appreciate that, Rahel. We'll look forward to that. Our next guest has been calling for a big pullback in some of the Nasdaq's highest flying names since the fall call that has clearly proven correct. Brad Gerster is the founder and CEO of Altimeter Capital, joins us once again live. It's good to see you again. Welcome back. Great to be on. All right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to begin at 30,000 feet. OK, then we're going to begin our descent into that call you had in the fall, and then we're ultimately going to land on some individual names. So let me ask you from the 30,000-foot view first for our viewers, your reaction to what the Fed said and did yesterday is what? Well, I, I think as the market has digested this, it's pretty similar to what we expected going into it. I think the dot plot remains largely unchanged. The taper is a little bit faster, as we all expected. And they basically made clear that they're not raising rates until after March, but we expect three rate rises next year. You know, what I've been talking about really for 12 months now is that we ought to be celebrating normalization. Normalization means we have a strong labor market, a strong economy. And we're just talking about going from zero and negative real rates to 75 basis points if we have three rate increases next year. So I think it's healthy for the market. 
But of course, we're seeing some natural churning like you and I talked about a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. Are you expressing that that celebration, if you will, by taking your long exposure higher? So when we talked, I think, Scott, at the end of October from Milken, what I had said was that if you just looked at growth multiples, they were about 30 to 40 percent higher than the five year trailing average. They were about 40 percent higher than where we were in January of 2020 which I thought was a pretty much a pre-COVID level that we would likely retrace back to. Over the course of the last couple of months, we've gotten there even faster than I expected. We used that opportunity, some of those pullbacks, to buy some of our favorite names as we head into 2022. But it's never all or none at Altimeter. I had told you we had taken our net exposure down to about 50%. And now our net exposure is back up closer to 70% on some of these big dislocations and names that we like the best. Okay, so, you know, I, I granted what you told me, um, or given what you told me when you were out in, in L.A., and that was during our, our anniversary week. Since then, let, let's just take certain areas of, of that spectrum, if you, if you will. The ARC stocks, they comprise, you know, it comprises many of, of the kinds of stocks we're talking about, down 22% since that appearance on October the 19th. It's down 41% from its high. The CLOU is the cloud ETF, is down 15% since then. The software IGV ETF is down 9%. You own individual names within that, that space uh, as well. Has it come down far enough to become attractive, given what you just said about, it sounds like you've been nibbling on some of the stocks that came down a lot. Well, I think there are two important points to make, Scott. The first one is, if you remember Q4 of 18, in a period of about 60 days, the NASDAQ was down about 30% on fears that in 2019, rates would go up faster than expected and throw us into a recession. But that 30% drawdown in Q4 of 2018 took us to 30% below the five-year trailing average growth multiple. We just had another 30 to 40 percent decline, which feels the slope of that curve feels about as painful. But that just took us to the five year average. We are not below the five year average. So it's hard to say that at a market level, everything is a screaming buy. I don't think that's the case. But the second point that I would make is we've seen record dispersion over this period of time. So if you look at the top quartile of software stocks year to date, they're up about 25 percent. If you look at the bottom quartile of software stocks year to date, they're down about 30 to 35 percent. That's the first time in five years you've seen a negative return uh, on those software stocks. We expected that. Um, And for the first time, we're seeing that dispersion. The best names are being treated better and they should be because they're going to grow faster for longer. And we're seeing real selectivity um, you know, between, between the different quartiles. You said you were adding to some of your favorite names. I, I think that's the, the wording that you used a little while ago. Can you give me specifics? I mean, I see that you own a Unity and an Uber and a Roblox and a Shopify and a Snowflake and a CrowdStrike. And, you know, in that order, the magnitude of the, the declines in all of those has been, you know, rather dramatic from 35% for Unity from its 52-week Uh, from Uber's 41 percent, Roblox 33, Shopify 24, you know, and and on and on. And I had told you again a couple months ago that we had trimmed some of those longs at the margin. 
we had added to that lower quartile short. So our short book is really protected uh, or helped mute some of this drawdown in, in the high quality stocks that we like. But, you know, we've added to Snowflake. In fact, we just added some more Snowflake last night. and It's mm. down uh, today on news that, you know, that Frank and Mike sold some shares to pay some taxes or something. It's a single day in what will be a multi-year journey. We've been investors in the company uh, for, you know, well over five years, uh, probably going on 10 years at this point. Um, and we think that, you know, our growth expectations for the company are higher or longer than sell side consensus. We think it'll be one of the most important companies uh, that comes out of, uh, you know, this decade of, of software startups. So, you know, we're going to buy the best names on dislocations. We never are bottom ticking those names. Uh, but, you know, the multiples of, the, of those names have come down dramatically because the growth rates this year have been faster than people think. In fact, they just reported a reacceleration in their growth rate to 110%, I believe, in the most recent quarter. Um, and we think that that transition is every enterprise on the planet digitizes, and they really represent a super cloud for a lot of those companies that that that, that growth trajectory will continue. Um, another name, uh, you know, uh, you, you know, that we've been adding to is a name like Roblox that reported a terrific quarter. Uh, just this week, they, there was some monthly data that people thought was a little slower than they expected. Again, we're not trading at month to month. We think this is one of the most uh, you know, important and iconic companies in the in, in the transition to digital gaming, crypto gaming, meta, et cetera. And their level of innovation, if you watch their investor day, was pretty extraordinary. Mm -hmm. So you have to be selective, buy on some of these dips. But for those people watching at home, everybody's got to run their own math uh, around how much risk they want to take. We're not running with uh, a bunch of leverage. We have a short book and we've selectively taken off some of the shorts that got, have gotten hit the most. And we've selectively added uh, to some of our longs. I, I, I love how candid and transparent you are. I know our, our viewers do as well. So thank you for that. Um, I need to ask you about a couple of stocks that really there's been so much consternation about that. First of all, do you, do you still own Peloton and Zoom? Um, we do not own Peloton and we own Zoom in small size. Interesting. Can you give me some details on the Peloton exit? Um. You know, listen, it's a tough choice when you're building a portfolio. Um, we were very disappointed, you know, in, in, in the results for the quarter, and we were negatively surprised. Our numbers came down for next year. And when the numbers came down for next year, it was no longer one of our best ideas. Hmm. Um, I still respect John Foley and the team at Peloton. We still think that that brand represents one of the best brands, uh, you know, in, uh, in global Internet. We still think there's a big opportunity in front of them. We'll revisit it uh, if our numbers warrant, um, but that's what we get paid to do. We're portfolio managers, and we have to make tough decisions. And unfortunately, what I would prefer to see is when a company uh, misses and the stock goes down, I would wish that our conviction would increase rather than decrease. Unfortunately, uh, because of the negative surprise there, our conviction decreased, uh, and so we repurpose those dollars. I mean, the, the look, ni niceties and, and the obvious respect you have for, for Foley aside – um, is it also, in addition to just simply Peloton as the name we're talking about, is it in any way a statement on the other side of the pandemic and just the way that, you know, there were certain stocks that pulled so much forward and certain stocks that just it's impossible to have the kind of growth that that they saw in that period of time and they may never experience it ever again? Well, I mean, there, there's no doubt that 
that Zoom and Peloton were extraordinary beneficiaries of the unfortunate events of 2020. Um, we're, we're, we're big fans of both of, those, of both of those companies. You just have to pick your points as to where you want to buy it. Um, clearly, they did not work this year. That was not a big surprise to us. We didn't own either of them at the start of the year in size for that reason. We expected them to come down a lot. We started nibbling on them after they were down over 50% on the year when their, when their growth multiples started to reflect pre-COVID levels. Um, but, you know, listen, we don't own a lot of names on the long side. We run a pretty concentrated portfolio. Our three biggest names all year long uh, have been Snowflake, uh, you know, Facebook and Microsoft. They performed very well. Um, and so, you know, to us, we have to make those tough decisions. That's what we get paid to do. I hear you. Um, let's do this. Let's uh, we're going to take a break in, in a second and then we're going to come back and we'll continue our conversation. OK, just sit tight for a few minutes. I want to get to Dom Chu for a market flash first, though, Dom. All right. So, Scott, what we're seeing right now is a pronounced weakness in Nasdaq related stocks, specifically technology, Apple, some of the big tap tech names driving a lot of that. But the semiconductor stocks are also now emerging in this midday session as one of the kind of least favored trades, if you will, right now. Skyworks Solutions, Xilinx, among some of those names that are underperforming and among the worst performers in the S&P 500 so far. So as you pay attention to that tech trade, I would also mention that the Vanek Vector Semiconductor ETF, ticker SMH, we often look at that as a kind of gauge for the overall industry group. It's on pace right now. It's kind of moving around a bit, but on pace right now for what could be its worst down day since February of this year. So keep an eye on those chip stocks, specifically Skyworks, Xilinx, and others. They are now some of the real underperformers, Scott, on today's trade. Back over to you. Appreciate that update. Uh, Perfectly timed for us, Dom. Thank you very much, Dom Chu. More with Altimeter's Brad Gerstner next. We're back. On the half right after this. Companies making climate disclosures jumping 40% this year to over 13,000 globally, according to CDP, one of the biggest disclosure platforms. 14 companies got top marks in CDP's annual climate list, scoring highly on climate change, deforestation, and water security metrics. HP, International Flavors and Fragrances, and Philip Morris top the list this year. And that's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, The ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Picture this. You're on a John Deere compact tractor, enjoying the sun as you clear brush across your pasture. You just have to get in the seat. Learn more at JohnDeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. We're back with Altimeter's Brad Gerstner. Let's talk about some travel names, if, if we could, because the last time we were on, you know, you had been in United Airlines for a while. I think Expedia, maybe even Booking Holdings. Um, and you can correct me, if, please do, if, if I'm wrong there. You got out of those on the big pop that those stocks uh, had had. Where do we stand on that now? Do, do they look, is there a point in time where you would get back in because of what you think is going to happen on the other side of the pandemic? Or have you just moved on? 
Well, there's definitely a point, Scott. I mean, those all have extraordinary CEOs. Um, they fought through, you know, this pandemic in, in just a, a, a pretty noble way. Um, we don't own any of them now. We're, we're still worried about the Omicron variant, um, you know, and each of them has an idiosyncratic, uh, you know, situation. Uh, booking and Expedia obviously benefit more light, uh, you know, uh, uh, asset light businesses um, that we think have a, a good future ahead of them. And Scott Kirby, I think, is is the best CEO in the airline business. And so if I were betting on an airline, it would be on United today. But as of today, we're uh, we're not invested in any of the, the uh, travel stocks. The other area I want to talk about, because I think it's it's similar to the way that we discuss what's happened with high flying and high valuation stocks is the state of venture capital in in the valley and the role that you and others are, are playing in. I think you're now one of the largest firms, VC firms in Silicon Valley. You recently led uh, or led a new round or helped lead a new round for Cockroach, a company called Cockroach. So I want you to listen. I know you know David Sachs. You probably know him well. He was on in the last hour, right? He's a, he's a VC. And um, here's what he had to say about where valuations are as it relates to that. We can react on the other side. From where I sit as a VC in Silicon Valley, in a way, we're investing in the most growth of growth stocks. We're invested in the most long dated companies, the companies that have their earnings in furthest in the future. And so as a result of that, there's been sort of a trickle down effect from the public markets to, I think, growth stage investors. And we're all kind of waiting for the VC market to find a new level. So what's what's your reaction to that? So, right, it's a re-rating going on in venture, just like it was going on in high multiple growth tech. Um, is it close to being done? Where does it find its level? Well, I you know, nobody says it much better than David. But uh, and, and we do talk about this often. There's no doubt that the Fed and global monetary authorities have pushed everybody out on the risk curve. And it's attracted a lot of new dollars to venture capital. And so we've seen inflation there, just like we saw inflation to record multiples in the stock market last year. The venture market always lags the public markets in terms of price movements. And so the reset in multiples that we've seen in the public markets is slower to move into the venture markets. It tends to start in late stage venture and then march its way to earlier stage venture, we definitely, like David, uh, see uh, some some late stage growth deals starting to be priced a little bit lower, taking longer to get done. We haven't seen much adjustment in earlier stage venture. But one thing to remember, you know, some of the best companies in the world in venture are funded during cyclical peaks. So the secular curve in venture is very steep. You know, we invested in a company, Modern Treasury or DBT Labs, uh, or the one you mentioned, which which we love and announced another round today in Cockroach, which is transforming the way transactional databases work in the cloud. Those companies are really binary outcomes. If we're right, they're going to be very big outcomes. Companies worth tens of billions of dollars, right? And if we're wrong, the fact that there was a little inflation in the venture markets isn't going to matter much. Remember, we also invested in Cockroach in March of 2020 in the teeth of the COVID crisis when a lot of other people were running for the hills. So we're with them in the Mm. bad times. We're also with them when times are better. Over the fullness of time, if we're right, that this is going to be a transformational 
uh, uh, database in the cloud, then neither of those points in time will matter all that much. Okay. So lastly, I I made you feel great at the very beginning. I told you how great your calls were, (laughs) (laughs) told you how great your tech call was. And then that brings me to grab. Okay. Uh, The SPAC, the SPAC deal that you that you did, which is not great. Uh, as a performance, so as performance so far, it's at seven dollars and forty cents. The high was eighteen bucks. Um, what in the world's going on there? Well, first, you know, let's say when you look at the their their peer comp set, whether it's C Limited, an extraordinary company in Southeast Asia like Grab, or whether it's DoorDash, or whether it's Uber, all of these names are down thirty to forty percent over the course of the correction that we've been talking about on the show. Uh, you know, for the last 15 minutes. So it's not overly surprising to me that Grab 2 would be put under pressure. Secondly, all IPOs this year are under pressure, whether it's Samsara that went out yesterday or Nubank or Hashi, even the best companies are coming under pressure on their IPOs. As public market investors recalibrate what multiples they're willing to pay, given uh, the rate environment, given the inflation environment, And so, you know, it's always disappointing. Listen, I'm an investor. I don't want any of these things to go down. It's always disappointing to see them go down. But we're talking less than 30 days here. Um, I think there have been six uh, sell-side reports come out on the company with 2022 price targets in the $12 to $13 range. If they're right, then this has tremendous upside between here and those price targets. But I'm not here to bang the table and tell everybody to run out and buy grab. Do your own work. Read those research reports. We'd placed our bet. We have two uh, uh, buckets of shares in Grab. We have investments we've made out of our hedge fund because we think it's a, uh, a great risk reward. And so we own it there. People can track it in our 13Fs. And we also have our sponsor promote shares, which we've agreed to a three-year lockup on. So when you're talking about a thousand-day lockup, what happens over a course of 20 days uh, is not all that consequential to me. But of course, we would all like uh, you know, everything to trade up immediately. But uh, unfortunately, that wasn't the case here. I mean, I had to find something to bring you back down to earth on after <laughs> I spent all that time praising you at the top for that call you had. Uh, it's always good to talk to you. I know our viewers really like your insights and we do as well. Great to be with you all. Happy holidays to everybody and uh, looking forward to a great 22. All right. And to you as well. And we look forward to speaking with you in 22. That's Brad Gerstner, the Altimeter Capital. He's the founder, the CEO. John Nigerian's trades are up next in Unusual Activity. All right, Doc, what do you got? Unusual. Marriott, Scott. Uh, you were talking about travel stocks uh, with Brad just moments ago. Marriott, June 160s with the stock up about 1% here at 152. Second one, take a look at Rivian. Um, RIVN, of course, earnings after the bell tonight. There's speculative put buying all the way down to the 85 strike, Scott, with the stock at 110. I don't like to see that, um, so I've actually exited my position. Um, but the stock's down about five bucks today, spending five billion on that plant in Georgia. That could be one of the reasons. Also, Joe Manchin talking about cutting EV credits back. So Rivian puts and Marriott calls. Wow. And you, you, I wanted to get glossed over. You exited your position in Rivian completely. I did. I, w- I wanted to hold it into this, Scott, but I decided, and I was in calls at this point anyway, yeah. but I decided uh, there's too much put activity for me to hold. 
Yeah, it was your brother who uh, got the allocation, if I recall, and you, you bought it on the, the open market. All right, yes. Doc. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. All right. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, that's Dr. J. Final trades on the other side. All right, we'll get to final trades in a minute, but I want you to check out Robinhood, down nearly 7%. A big call, Josh, on this stock today. Initiated underperform at Bank of America. $22 is the price target. They say the perfect storm is over. Growth is going to be harder to achieve. What do you think? Bank of America basically reiterating what we told you on this show the day it went public. There's nothing special about the company or what they do. They just happen to have had the perfect moment in time to capitalize on. And all of that is in the past, never to be repeated again. So I still wouldn't buy it down here. Um, and to all the kids on TikTok that fought with me over this name and made memes about me and made me feel bad about myself, where's your Messiah now? <laughs> all right. Well, thank. I knew you'd have a, a hot take on it, so I'm glad I, I got that from you. <laughs> Speaking of hot takes, uh, check out Kerry Firestone's latest op-ed on three key sectors leading the way amid inflation fears. You can find that at CNBC.com. I urge everybody to go check that out. Kerry, thanks for doing that for us. You want to give me a final trade? Sure. Charles Schwab. SCHW goes with financials. It's a company that's doubled its asset base since the beginning of COVID. Meanwhile, its net interest margin has declined by 40% as interest rates have gone down. Now the Fed is signaling raising, and we think that's an opportunity for Schwab to show much better earnings than they, they have expected, okay. and we think the stock is really attractive. Okay. Um, no longer Mr. All-In. I just can't call him that anymore. Jim Laban. That's right. you got to retire the name along with transitory. Uh, Qualcomm, 230 is the price target in six months. That's a 27% return. Okay. Dr. J? Any show that has Edward G. Robinson, big thumbs up, Josh. Otis Worldwide, O-T-I-S, bought it during the show. Quick name, Josh, and I got to bounce. Berkshire Hathaway, breakout confirmed. All right, good stuff, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.